Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here are your hosts, editor Christian Berg and associate editor Mark Demko. All right. Welcome back to the Bow Hunting Podcast. We are at Lancaster Archery, and the Bow Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Lancaster Archery Supply. You know, Mark, for all of your bow hunting needs and all of mine, where you want to visit is LancasterArchery.com. They've got the gear, they've got the knowledge, and they've got the passion. Isn't that right, Mr. Riley? That is right. Absolutely. This is Mr. PJ <laughs> Riley. And, you know, today we're going to talk a little turkey hunting. It is turkey time. Right now it's like mid-March. People are whacking Osceola's down in Florida as we speak. And PJ and I talked a little bit before the show. Nobody loves bow hunting turkeys more than PJ and I. Exactly. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Turkey bow hunting aficionados. It's it's just, you know, it's it's a great activity. It helps bridge the gap. But, you know, the people who love turkey hunting love turkey hunting. That's that's pretty much, yeah, the long and short of it. And But what I, where I really wanted to go with this uh -huh. is it is turkey time, and you guys have a turkey time extravaganza. If, if you happen to be needing anything for turkey season, whether yes. it's, you know, some new broadheads, like I was telling PJ, I'm only hunting with the, the Magnus bullheads this spring. I'm either going to lop the head off of a gobbler or I'm not going to get one at all. Have you practiced with one of those? Well, not yet. I have a bunch at home. They sent me some. I don't know. I'm always curious as to what they do in well, flight. I, I don't think they're 40-yard projectiles, my right. friend. I think it's like close 12 range. yards and in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you want to get them close and uh, for sure. So I will be. I mean, you know, again, a, turkey season's underway, you know, right. in some places where it's warmer than it is here. Not here. We've got uh, <laughs> mid-March, mid-April. We've got six weeks. So I got plenty of time to get myself dialed in. Here. Absolutely. And, and it will definitely be May before I'm doing turkey hunting either here or over in Ohio. But whether you need decoys, camo, tell me about it, man. We got it all. Yeah. Uh, decoys, calls, you know, any of the, all the thermocell stuff or when you get into the bug season, we've got it all. Sitka, what is it? Optifade, uh, the Sitka green camo. Um, yeah, we've got everything. You name it. If it has to do with bow hunting and turkeys, we have it. Even if you're just, you know, even if you're a gun turkey hunter, you can still get decoys, you know, and calls and stuff. For sure. And, and it's a blowout sale. On blowout sale. Lancaster All things turkey. <laughs> you know. If you put enough in your court, they pay you to, to take it. You just got to pay shipping. <laughs> Haul it out of here. Or something right. like that anyway. <laughs> well, you're sort of coordinating like our serious bow hunting turkey content for the podcast, right? You've got some stuff lined up. Yeah, we had two of the uh, regional conservation directors on. They're going to do a bit of an overview in the eastern two-thirds of the United States, what hunters can expect. And, you know, when we talk with the NWTF, obviously, you get into a little bit about how the populations are doing and things like that. And, you know, some areas of the country, uh, we've seen the numbers decline. And, you know, first it was the southeast and then the east had issues. But then you start talking about, you see the numbers really dropping 40, 50 percent in the Midwest. But they're talking about some of the projects they're doing on multi-state projects or working with different parts. 
partners to enhance habitat. And they're, you know, when you, when you think of volunteer groups, the NWTF is probably one of the biggest in the, in the, in the country as far as on the ground legwork and getting things done. So it was a really engaging podcast. We're excited to bring that to you. So if you're getting pumped for turkey season, if you live in the upper part of the United States, you know, the seasons haven't opened yet. It's, it's, it's a great overview. Yeah. So you're, you sort of piggybacked on the, uh, cover story that we did for our April, May issue. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot going on right now in the turkey world. Yeah. I don't know if you realize that PJ, that turkey's kind of like in trouble in a lot of areas. Pennsylvania. We're having trouble with turkeys. Yeah. They're going down. Yeah. I know there was a big push right where we are in the Southeast. Maybe I remember when I was a news reporter 20 years ago, they were stocking them here and the flocks yeah. took off and we're going now it's like, hmm, where'd they all go? <laughs> well, that's why they've cut back on the fall season yeah. so much. Like up in, I'm in 4C. I don't know what you guys are. 5C. Do they, here we're 5B, same do, do thing. They, do they even have a fall season So anymore? 5B has, it started out as five-day. I think it might be a three-day fall season. <laughs> yeah, they just, It's less than a week. I know that. They just don't want to lose any hens. And out in the Midwest, you know, like Kansas, Nebraska, um, uh, Missouri, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, other states out there, but they've really cut back on it. I mean, people used to go out there every spring and just whack turkeys yeah. like there was no tomorrow. And, you know, you used to be able to shoot like three birds in yeah. some of those states, and it maybe it was two. Now some of these states are going to be one, and they're shortening the seasons. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a big deal. Now it's not as big of a deal to me, I'm not going to lie. I'm not like your... And neither PJ or I are, are living and dying with the turkey. I've often said if, like, they only hunted turkeys in the fall, I don't know if I'd mess around with them, like, at all. I, it's it's in very good bass fishing season, so I'm, I'd am i prefer to be bass fishing. But I I liked it when I did it. I used to, I should say I used to have a spot that I went to because a friend of mine owned a bunch of ground in Huntington. And I'd go out there and... You know, I'm, I always say I'm famous. I've made every stupid mistake you can make with a turkey. If it's dumb, I've done it. And, but I like that. It was fun. Just go out there and mess around. I didn't care if I got one or not, but he died. And so I just don't go anymore. <laughs> I'm not a huge turkey hunter either, but I, I will say there's one thing about, you know, spring turkey hunting, sitting in the woods is getting light. The, the yeah. world comes to life around you. And then if you have a, a gobbler that sounds off, 10, 20, 30 yards away. That's, That's got to cool. be the most exciting sound going. It's, I mean, that, that is just awesome. It is cool. It's, yeah, no doubt. It's exciting in the moment, for sure. It'll get you going. Yeah. And it's a great time to be out outside, like you said. Yeah. You know what's great about turkey season? Like, if you find some morels, that's huge. Like, you, I could just go out and look for mushrooms. And then if a turkey happens to start gobbling and decide that he wants to die, then that would be cool. You know what I mean? But if not, it's a great day to hunt mushrooms. But Clint Casper, right? I mean, he that guy impresses the heck out of me because he, he kills them all the time. and He doesn't use a blind or anything. I've always found all the success that I've had bow hunting turkeys is pretty much find, you know, an area where there's some birds, get close to the roost, put your blind up, put your decoys out there. If you can just stand the boredom and wait long enough, <laughs> you will kill turkeys. <laughs> Eventually they're going to come in. I think that was always one of my Achilles heel was I'd sit there for 30 minutes and be like, ah, I better move. 
<laughs> Let's go see what's over the next ridge. <laughs> well, we're really we're really lighting the world on fire, Mark, here with great, <laughs> great bow hunting turkey tips. I'm glad that you have like other content queued up that we can attack this well, one to. I sh- uh, we should ask this is, okay, so we're talking about, you know, bow hunting turkeys and we're not huge fans of it. It's amazing to me on the ASA circuit how many of the pros hate shooting at the turkey. I wonder if there's a correlation there. They hate the turkey target. Well, you brought it up actually earlier <laughs> before we started because I said, you know, I talked about the bullhead. Mm-hmm. And then I've committed to, you know, shooting those. And that's not just because I want to try it, although I, I have been intrigued. I call them the, the lopper heads. Yes. The lopper type broadheads, yeah. you know, the guillotine style, whatever you want to call it. Yep. I have wanted to do that for years, but I'm not just doing it because I've wanted to do it. I'm, you know, and I was talking about this with PJ before we started recording. I'm doing it because I've lost a handful of turkeys over the years, and it's exceedingly frustrating to put an arrow right through the middle of a turkey and feel like you made a really good shot and have several of them on video and watch it back like 27 times while you're sitting there in the blind (laughs) and ask yourself why in the world there's not a dead turkey laying out there for me to go pick up because you feel like you you did it pretty good. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, I've had it happen to me two years ago. Hit one. Things wobbling all over the place. Walking, I get up. There's blood everywhere. You say, "Okay, it's it's down just over there." Never found the bird. Nothing. We'd like to say that we put everything down that we shoot. That sometimes doesn't happen. The vitals are so small. The placement in the body, all those feathers. You know, it's so. Oh, yeah. I see those ones. Oh, I've seen the videos where. You know, the guys shoot him out of the blind and hit him with the broadhead, and boom, the turkey rolls over and tumbles and never goes anywhere. And I'm thinking. I know if it were me, I'd be the one that would zip it through and that thing would fly off and I'd never see it again. Yeah, Or, you know, they, they get up and they flip over and you think they're dead and then they jump up and they run away. <laughs> and you're like, what in the world? What happened? And you, well, you said it earlier, again, before we started, it, there are a lot of feathers. When they're, when they're all fanned out, they're a giant puffball and the body exactly. is a lot smaller <laughs> than the area that they take up in their profile. You know? Yes, yeah, so it it is a challenge, you know, to know where to shoot those those uh, guys. And um, anyway, I'm gonna lop them this year. I'm either gonna lop them, I'm I'm I'm, I'm guillotine or bust this spring for me. What about you, Mister Donald? Cool. Well, I'm gonna ride in the same train you are. I'm gonna give them a whirl as well. As a matter of fact, and uh, for everybody who gets our, our magazine, there's a big uh, focus on that in the uh, April May issue coming out soon, where we have a, a couple of the different uh, guillotine style broadheads. I think there's like four four different ones we have covered in there. It's you know it's it's funny because. Most of the major broadhead manufacturers don't make those type of broadheads, but you find these small companies that make them, and the people that use them really love. Oh them. yeah, but but you said at the beginning of the podcast, it's a it's a close range game, and the uh, owner of Magnus said it's he said he said I've seen people kill them out to thirty yards. I've killed them out. I killed one out to forty. He said, but it's absolutely a fifteen yard and under game. Well, that's the Magnus one too is probably one of the smaller ones. It's not one of those obnoxious. Real long blades. But one of them had a four-inch diameter, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, three, three and three quarters, and two and three quarters. I think were the two different ones. You remember who those were? 
Yeah, those were those were Magnus had one that was three and oh, they have two three. versions. Yeah, they have okay. Three, yeah, yes, the one sir. we were using yesterday must have been the smaller one. Yeah, and uh, I just got a broadhead in the mail a couple weeks ago called the Slang Blade by Fire in the Hole. That was four inches. I don't even think a four inch broadhead might. That's not a turkey head either. <laughs> no, but it was the, the blade was incredible, and I'm bringing it up because I thought, well, would this work in the same way? Yeah, and and then I looked it up, and in Pennsylvania, you can't legally use a broadhead that's that big. Oh, really? But it's legal in a lot of other states. For turkeys, you can't. Yeah. Ah, but we have a maximum. No, it, it just. I, I knew we had a minimum. Yeah. So it's it's, it's huh. uh, yeah. If, if I if, now I could be wrong, but I thought it saw they can't be bigger than a certain size too. No kidding. I did not know. I've never looked it up. I, I might say. have just embarrassed myself. Well, but we, I, it we, won't be the first time. Ask my wife. <laughs> we shot a little. That's too much information. <laughs> we shot a little social media video on that slang blade. Did you post that yet? Yeah, that posted uh, last week. How did that, did that get any reaction? Um, you know, um, we had a lot of people watch the video, but I didn't see a ton of comments on it. I was surprised. I thought, I thought people would have some reactions one way or another. I mean, it's really, it's really intriguing. I had never seen a broadhead like that. It was, uh, uh has a four inch cut. Uh, and, um, basically you use bands, rubber bands, you close the blades you carefully put the bands on, starts as a, a, a one-inch impact, and opens up immediately to a four-inch cut. Now, I saw some of the pictures that they had on uh, social media, and, and the results were incredible. I've yet to try it because it came later in the year, but I was very intrigued by it, and Christian and I were talking about it, and, you know, would, would people have different reactions for it and things like that, but I didn't I didn't notice a lot of comments, at least in the first day or two. So, so it's not one of the lopper styles where you're trying to shoot the head off. No, it's not. It's not a it's turkey more head. It's expandable. Yeah. It's it, the blades kind of look like this when it's closed. Yeah, and yeah, they're yeah, held yeah, yeah. on the outside by a rubber band. And then, you know, when the, it, yep. you know, and then it gotcha. opens up to four. Like literally you could, some of the small deer that we have here in Pennsylvania, you could just about cut, cut them in two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I want to hear, we got to bring Vogue into this. Okay. That's, that's Kyle Kovalorich is, am I pronouncing that? You did. Yes. yes. Yeah. He's so, the voice of God. Are you a big tur uh, turkey bow hunter, Mr. Producer? Only when they walk by my tree stand in the fall. Okay. So you don't <laughs> even hunt spring turkeys. Absolutely not. My dad will, but he'll, he goes with a shotgun. So yeah, oh, not, not for a, me. This is a pretty illustrious panel of spring turkey hunters right here. Yes. But we're all going to change that this year, correct? Well, I am going to honestly get out and try. I mean, the other problem, again, we touched on it. I I do have some turkeys around a couple of the farms that I hunt, but we always, you know, it's funny because tonight, of course, this will be over when this is published, but tonight I'm speaking to several hundred deer hunters at a, at a deer hunter's banquet. And the biggest problem that we have in Pennsylvania is also the biggest blessing. I mean, it's a great state to live in if you like hunting culture and yep. you like to hang around with other hunters. It's a terrible state to live in if you like to kill stuff <laughs> because everybody hunts. Well, we lead the country. I'm going to talk about this a little bit tonight. There are 14.4 deer hunters per square mile in Pennsylvania. Number one in the country. Number one. Number one. Do you know how many there are in Kansas? How many? 1.3. <laughs> wow. There's 1.3 deer hunters per square mile in Kansas. There's 14.4 in Pennsylvania. 
there's a reason that the deer hunting is so good in Kansas and so difficult here. And that, I mean, Turkey is sort of parallels that. So the pro, where I was going with this, okay, yeah. back to turkey season. So there are some birds, but the problem is the properties are so small. Yeah. There's somebody else hunting these turkeys like every day. So you go out and then you hear the birds gobble from the roost and like you're just praying that they come over your way, but they could just as easily walk in another direction and they're just crossing property lines and they're liable to get whacked or spooked by somebody else. And it's, it's difficult. Do you have big properties where you are or is it like around here? The average oh. farm is 40 acres. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a couple, there's a one farm that I hunt that's, it's over a hundred acres but even that, it's not big. It's bisected by a road. Gotcha. So, like, there's not, like, 100 contiguous acres. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, no, there's, you don't walk very far. You can't, that's the other thing here in Pennsylvania. You can't go after turkeys because it's like, if they go more than a few hundred yards in any direction, you're off the On property. somebody else's. You, you know, I have to share one tip because you're talking about this and the pressure in Pennsylvanians. I've had a, more than one person. I've had several people tell me if you can take a, Wild turkey in Pennsylvania, you can take in just about any state in the country. I've heard that, yes. But a lot of these guys, the biggest tip they'll share is hunt later in the morning. Yep. Uh, I've, I've only killed a handful of turkeys in my life. I've never killed a turkey before 9 o'clock in the morning. And that's just me. And I'm not, I'm certainly, as we're talking here, oh, well, not the world's greatest turkey hunter, but these guys all kill their birds later in the morning, especially if they're looking for huh. This is true, and not just in Pennsylvania. I mean, I've had success with this here, but even in Places like the Midwest, you know, the Dakotas. Um, everybody wants to call in a turkey that's gobbling like crazy. Honestly, um, even down in Georgia uh, yeah. one year. I mean, it'll be late morning. It's getting hot inside the blind because the sun is beating down on it. And it's quiet as a mouse in a tomcat's house. I mean, there's nothing going on, right? And then all of a sudden, you just look up and there's a big old gobbler just standing in your decoys <laughs> and that's what i mean like when if you really want to kill one with your bow yeah if you want to get an opportunity it's a waiting game yeah and they'll come in and those big toms a lot of times they don't make a noise yep you know they heard you call earlier in the morning and they i mean just like a just like a buck that knows well, where you are when you grunt or rattle these birds know where well you here's were. the thing how come I can sit in a tree stand all day, but I can't sit in a blind for four hours? Uh, it's it's a it's I gotta move. It's, gotta go. It's a value proposition, <laughs> and and a lot of us right, and we fall into this category. It, it's like why can't I go trout fishing in Pennsylvania? I mean, I can, but yeah. not very much. A couple days a year for a couple hours at a time, because I just can't get, invest that much effort into a 10 inch stocky yeah, yeah. that tastes, tastes like pellets. You know what I mean? <laughs> but if you call me up and say, Hey, we're going down to the Jersey shore tomorrow. And I'm telling you the stripers are running and it's hot and heavy and I can catch like a, 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 a 20 pound stripe bass yes. and like take that home and have like some awesome fillets for dinner. I'm all about that. You know, and that's kind of how I feel about a big buck, you know, like I'm willing to suffer for yeah. something with some antlers, but I don't, I just don't want to suffer that oh. much for a turkey. That's right. The, you mentioned the small, the small properties, which is what we have around here. That was also one of my issues is my friend, 
his place in Huntington County was 1,600 acres, and I was the only one he let out there. So that was kind of cool. Well, and, and you <laughs> know. Because then I, I could go move and chase and, and uh, over yeah, there. And, and create your own action. Yeah. And a lot of people, mostly shotgun hunters, but, yeah, they'll go up to north central Pennsylvania to what we call, I mean, if you're not from here, it doesn't mean as much, but the big woods, yeah. as we'd say here. In, oh, you go to the big woods where there's a lot of public ground, right? Ten, right. Tens of thousands, thousands of acres. Thousands. And you can go on walks. Yeah. And you can, you can get on ridges and follow them for miles and call off these ridges and you don't want to give up elevation unless a bird answers, right? You'll, you'll suffer the walk back up if you can go after a bird, but (laughs) yeah, guys will do that and they'll spend an entire morning from sunrise to noon, you know, walking and calling and and trying to get a bird fired up. Uh, And you can do that with your bow too, but uh, we can't do it around here. No, no, you walk a hundred yards. Oh, there's the boundary. So you've traveled a little bit, Christian, and you've done turkey hunting across the country. What's the best turkey hunt you were ever on? Do you have a memory that pops into your mind right away? Oh, yes. Yes. It was in bow hunting turkeys, reaping, okay, reaping or fanning, okay, where they, you get down on the ground and oh, yeah, you crawl yeah, yeah. out into the open yeah. where the birds can see you yes. and you just spread this real tail fan out uh-huh. and you present that and you just dance it back and forth. And a lot of times if the birds are in the right mood, this triggers a like an aggressive response in them and they want to come over and just kick the kick the crap out of that bird. Well, I was down in Florida, down with Osceola Outfitters. This was years ago. I can't remember who was sponsoring this hunt, but it, I think it was one of the bow manufacturers. And uh, I had hunted hogs down there several times. Great place down about uh, near Melbourne, Florida. It's about an hour and a half south of Orlando. Uh, great place to be that time of the year. The weather's beautiful. It's easy to get there from here. You know, one quick airplane ride, you can leave in the morning and be down there at lunchtime and, uh, you know, you're ready to hunt. Anyways, I was hunting with uh, a guy named Jimmy and Jimmy was fanning and we found these birds out in this cattle pasture. And he said, here's what we're going to do. He said, we're going to, you know, swing around here get out of sight where these birds can't see us. And we're going to come over here on this side of the field. There was a clump of bushes or brush out in the field where I was able to go and get those bushes between us and these two, two gobblers that were out there. So he said, you get over there by that clump of bushes and get ready, get down on your knees. And then I'll crawl out in the field and I'll pop this fan up. And if they're coming, I'll be able to whisper to you and tell you when to when they're going to pop out on the other side of those bushes. So we did that. And wouldn't you know, this worked to perfection. So, I mean, these turkeys were about like 250 yards out. Oh. He pops this fan up and, you know, I'm just like looking at Jimmy and he's moving this fan back and forth. And I'm like, are they coming? He's like, yeah, they're coming. And then like after a bit, he's like, you know, 100 yards 80 yards, <laughs> 60 yards, 40 yards. And the next thing he says is, draw now. 
<laughs> I mean, that was awesome. Literally, draw now. <laughs> so, you know, because I can't see any of this, yeah. right? Because they're on the, I'm blocked from their view and they're blocked from mine. So I come to full draw. And as I anchor and like settle in and look through my peep sight, here comes two long beards walking across <laughs> this field and they're focused on Jimmy's fan, yeah. you know, and they're about 20 yards away. And I mean, I had to pivot a little bit. I'm on my knees. I pivot. And of course, when I pivot to put the pin on the front of one, then they sort of both see me and they stop and stick their heads up in the air and they're staring right at me. But at that point, I've got Too the pin right on them and, boom, and I like dump the string and I just like skewer this thing right in the front of the chest and it flops and it's just flopping around right there in the grass and the other bird just high turns around and you know runs as fast as he can which is pretty fast for a turkey you know uh. and Jimmy Jimmy jumps up and we run over to each other and we're high five and we're like that was great <laughs> so yeah that was the coolest turkey that I ever killed and it was an Osceola How which a lot that? of people don't get the chance to yeah kill. So, I mean, I've had some good times turkey hunting. And uh, the other story that comes to mind, if you'll indulge me, was the time that I went out to Kansas mm -hmm. to bow hunt turkeys with Eddie Claypool, one of our field editors, on his lease that he used to have out there. And it was a two-bird hunt. And on the very first morning, early in the morning, a bunch of jakes came in. And I whacked one of those and I had a bird down like within an hour of the first morning. And I had about like five days to hunt out there. And I was like, man, this is going to be easy. We're going to get my second tag filled and be done in no time. Well, I had a complete meltdown and delamination. After killing that Jake, I proceeded to miss like three turkeys in the next <laughs> two days. Uh. And... I got Eddie so frustrated with me and I was just falling apart and Eddie ended up having to leave because he had to go back home to Oklahoma and yeah. he's like, you can stay and hunt the lease, but I got to go. And I had um, one day left to hunt and it ended up being the last hour of the last day I was set up in a blind near a roost site yeah. and these birds came back towards the roost and I could hear them getting closer and closer. They were gobbling on and off as they came back. And I decided, I said, you know, I'm not even going to call. I'm not going to do anything because I know they're coming in towards this clump of trees. I ended up getting a shot at one of these gobblers and I hit him good, but he wasn't completely immobilized. He couldn't fly, but he could run. Uh, I ended up diving out the front window of this blind, chasing this gobbler through the brush, ended up like finally catching him, literally tripped and dove forward <laughs> and tackled this bird. And I'm laying there and I'm all out of breath and I'm breathing like this. And I got my arm around this turkey and I'm like, <sighs> and I'm holding his head in my hand and I'm looking at him and he's looking at me with his beady little eye and I said as soon as I catch my breath and I can get up I'm going to wring your neck 
And that's what I did. And that's how I ended up standing up and swinging that thing around and wringing his neck and killing that second bird. And it was a big old gobbler. That first bird I had killed was a Jake. This was a big brush beard. And I have his fan and he had like a 12 inch beard that was like thick as a paintbrush and these giant like inch and an eighth inch spurs. I have those feet and that fan and that beard on the wall in my house. And on my way back from that lease to the Kansas City area that night mm -hmm. to catch my flight home the next morning, I got pulled over by a cop on uh, the, a rural area. And he ended up seeing my Matthews bow on the back seat of my car. And he's like, oh, you got the new Matthews. I don't even remember what it was that year. But he's like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, this guy's a bow hunter. I'm going to get out of this, you know? <laughs> and I told him all about my bow and the hunt. And I had the bird in the trunk. And I ended up showing him the bird. And I was like, man, this guy's going to let me go. Yeah, he still wrote me a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> but he was really happy to see the bow and talk some bow hunting. I was like, thanks for nothing, brother. <laughs> Help a fellow bow hunter out. Come on, man. <laughs> he was young. He was young. Uh, young. They got to impress the boss. Exactly. He yeah, wanted to write tickets. Man. So, I mean, I've had some good, exciting turkey bones over the years. I've hunted them in Texas. I've hunted them in the Dakotas. I've hunted them in the Midwest. I've hunted them in the South. I just don't like it when I shoot them and they don't die. <laughs> and we're all the I same mean, way. It's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. Everybody has a role to play. And just as if, you know, those complementary species in nature that without one, the others can't exist. That's how it works in bow hunting. The animal comes in and presents itself as a living sacrifice. You shoot it. And it dies. This is, this is. The way it works. Exactly. It's yeah. the script that's been preordained. Exactly. When you refuse to fill your role, you are, <laughs> you are throwing a monkey wrench into the whole works. <sighs> yeah. Well, that story was fascinating. <laughs> I mean, absolutely great. And uh, you can't reap in Pennsylvania. First of all, it's not legal. Yeah. And second of all, it's not safe. I didn't know it had a name. And, and reaping. And third of all, it's not legal because it's not safe. Yeah. Here. Yeah. You, you know get I mean? shot pretty quickly if you did that yeah. here. Like there's states where there's, you know, so much room for oh. everyone to roam that you're not worried exactly. about another turkey hunter behind every bush. Uh, yes. A side note, it's worth bringing up right now. Is it, you know, you, you talk about it and people might be listening and think, well, how is that? Well, at one time in Pennsylvania, now you're looking at all hunting. If I remember correctly, spring gobbler hunting was where most of the shooting accidents occurred in the state of, you talk about all these people. Oh, yeah, well, there yeah. used to be like, it was yeah. a crazy A dozen number. people shot every <laughs> yeah. year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and it was during turkey season. Now that is education and some changes in the laws and things like that have made it better. But it's like, people think, well, how do you get shot in turkey season? Because you have to know your target right in front of you. And I always thought that. I was like, how does that ever happen? And I will never forget this as long as I live. I was sitting out turkey hunting. I walked into an area. I sat down. Just picked it, walked in, sat down. I started calling. And then I heard calling coming in front of me. I'm like, oh hen out there uh -huh. and I looked up and what I saw in my mind was a turkey now it was spring gobbler season so I knew I wasn't going to shoot because it was a hen but in my mind it's saying turkey 
And then this, I saw the guy's arm. Now I just picked this spot. It was public land, you know, thousands of acres. I walked in and sat down within 30 yards of this guy. Now, first off, he didn't hear me and move. I, I wasn't quiet, but in my brain, that was a turkey until I saw his arm. And then I was like, oh, that's how people get shot right there. Your, your mind tells your totally, eyes yes. what to see. Totally told me it was a turkey. Fortunately, it told me it was a hen. So, but yeah, that I was totally flabbergasted by that, that I was like, that is not a turkey. And I thought it was. Don't, don't shoot anybody with your Magnus bullhead, Mark. <laughs> That's going to leave a mark. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine getting gut shot with one of those things? Oh, you're not going to make it. No, no, no. I don't think so. Well, is there anything else? I mean, I can't say that we've had a lot of productive. Some of my stuff, I guess, was semi-productive there. You eventually <laughs> led me down that path, but most of this has been fairly rambling. Is there anything else in all seriousness that we wanted to cover from a from a bow hunting turkeys or shameless Lancaster archery self-promotion standpoint before we segue to Mark's NWTF interview? Yeah, no, I'm just super excited to be here. Hopefully we're going to get a quick tour of the facilities before we leave. You bet. And uh, if you get a chance, check out uh, LancasterArchery.com and for all your turkey hunting needs, actually for all your bow hunting needs and your com- competitive archery I, I needs like out the, here. I like this studio, but I feel like the studio lights are kind of hot. My stomach has been sweating It's here warm in here in this room in general. Uh, we don't know to- why. If we just go outside that door, it'll drop like 10 degrees. It's good because I got to dry off. <laughs> I'm going to have to start bringing a towel when we record down here. It was reliving that turkey hunt. It just yes. got you all worked up again. No more podcasting without a do-rag. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I think it's all of our hot air trying to work our way through this turkey segment. <laughs> Plenty of that for sure. And with that, enjoy Mark's highly entertaining and educational segment with the National Wild Turkey Federation. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast brought to you by Lancaster Archery Supply. You know, as this episode airs, we're at the end of March. So, you know, Florida's turkey season has been underway for a little bit. Uh, states like Alabama might just be getting started, but the bulk of the turkey season across the country are still yet to come. So I'm super excited. Um, today's our turkey season preview, and I'm joined by two gentlemen from the National Wild Turkey Federation. They're both directors of conservation operations. Um, I'd like to welcome uh, Doug Little. You're the cover of the Eastern Operations. Doug, welcome. Thank you. Looking forward to it. And then your counterpart, Jared McJunkin. Jared, you cover the central part of the country from, say, the Midwest um, down to Texas. Um, And, you know, Doug, you cover from Maine to Florida, to Louisiana and Kentucky and things like that. So we're going to cover a a wide swath of uh, turkey country. So thank you both for joining. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Always great to talk turkey. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it, it's exciting. Uh, you know, obviously, you're gearing up to, to hunt as well. You're both hunters, not only in biologists and uh, involvement heavily in conservation, but you're both turkey hunters as well. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Doug, how long have you been tur- Doug, how long have you been turkey hunting? Oh, um, put me on the spot for age here. Um, since I was old enough to in New York, which isn't as as young as we'd like, right? Um, in New York rules, so I had to wait till I was twelve. 
actually might have been 14 back then. I, I don't want to sound like I'm I'm skirting the rules, but I, it might have been 14 back then. <laughs> so now it's 12. So that's where that's where I'm getting tripped up a little. My my son was old enough to um, this past season. So um, yeah, since I was 14, and um, I'm in my late 40s right now. Yeah, and, and uh, Jared, how long have you been turkey hunting? Yeah, I will date myself. I I started in high school, so it's, it's pushing 30 years. Hard to believe. You know, it's funny when you both say that is uh, I think about when I started deer hunting and bow hunting, the, the, the laws were just so much different in every state. Now it's about recruitment of young people into the sport. And it's a really important aspect. But I remember like in living in Pennsylvania where you can only take one deer on your tag and it was if you took a doe, you were done or a lot of buck or a doe. And so it's really evolved. But it's, you know, as hunting demographics change is all about getting young people and getting new and more diverse audiences in the sport. So uh, it's funny when you were thinking back that brought to mind my first year I got with the bows, I was elated. It was a, it was a, it was a doe. And the next year through, we, we made a little deer drive, believe it or not, along a canal. The next year through was a, a nice eight pointer. Nice. And I just had to watch it walk right by, but obviously times have changed. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm in, I'm in my early fifties and that was probably when I was 18 or 19 years old. So uh, thinking back, but uh, let's talk some Turkey. And uh, I think, you know, I live here in Pennsylvania and you live in New York, Doug, let's, let's talk a little bit about when you look at Turkey numbers and Turkey populations in your region. And if you want to break it down by region or talk about some of the States, how are the birds doing overall? I know at one time there was an area of tremendous growth in a lot of the States yeah. and that's sort of, been curtailed or uh, bird numbers have dropped quite a bit. And so we can talk about that. And But I'd love to hear from your 10,000 foot view, how do you think bird numbers are doing in the eastern third of the state? Yeah. So, so yeah, starting from New England, right, we'll work south. I, I think the New England area um, doing fairly well. Um, you know, there's some there's some nice places you can get to. And, and from a hunting perspective, you know, private land permissions still still available, knock on doors type thing, have the right approach. And um, certainly quality public land, plenty of room to roam. Um, bird numbers are are doing well. Um, you know, there's there's pockets, right, where where their people are concerned in, in different areas of states. Um, but overall, um, New England is a is a um is is doing pretty well. Um, plenty of spring hunting opportunities available. Like I said, if you're if you're willing to roam uh, on the bigger tracks of public land, you know, you should you should be in pretty good shape to find birds. I mean, certainly they're not numbers aren't aren't where they were overall but we've had yeah. some some good hatches um qual you know average to better than average hatches uh, compared to the last five ten years or the last couple and and actually you know i you know asking around to staff you know as, as throughout the eastern region that that i cover and, and work with staff in um that's pretty much been a universal message that you know the last couple of hatches um have been average to above average overall right big picture different pockets different states you know, you're going to find those areas where where you'd like to see a little more, uh, a little better recruitment in in the bird populations in the spring summer, but um, overall, um, doing better than they were, um, you know, last five ten years. Not not to say we're out of the woods and out of any kind of decline or anything like that, but just maybe a little better, a little a few more two year olds, which you know we always hear, you know, the two year old gobblers out there are the ones that are hammering away and um, gobbling most and. Um, I would I would suspect that, you know, we should hear a little more goblin throughout the eastern region, um, you know, this year compared to the last few. Um, you might have some Jake trouble. Um, you know, you always have, seem to have those those crazy band of Jakes after a good hatch year, which is a good problem to have, you know, compared to being in, in um, you know, years where where the recruitment wasn't as great. Um, 
but Jake's Jake's can can keep you know a, a single mature gobbler a little at bay too. Um, so some of that may be at play. Um, you know, start you know see that more and more. At least I'm I'm more tuned into seeing that more and more last bunch of years um, after after a single good hatch year. So um, you know, southeast you know there's certainly some pockets of concern. Um, you know, turkey populations again average to above average hatch um, last year the year before from what I'm hearing overall. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's definitely, um, like I said, not, not to say that we're out of the woods in terms of any decline that we've been talking about for a number of years, but um, certainly in better shape than maybe the last few years. Thank you. Now we were talking about the, the New England area. And yeah. while we're on that topic, I've always been intrigued, you know, it's Maine. You don't think of it maybe as a, as a turkey hunting destination, but it's actually a pretty good place to go for birds, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And, and I, I almost isolated Maine a little bit. So I'm glad you brought that back up because I'm, you know, more and more I'm, I'm getting questions um, from from hunters about, you know, going up to Maine and um, especially I think what's what's um, really catching a lot of attention is that last very last part of the season, which, you know, can can dip a little bit into into early June. Um, so, you you know, you talk about, you know, being in the northeast and extending your season by going south or going out west to hunt Merriam's um, preseason. Um, but then also now you have this opportunity in, in the back end of the season to, to maybe, um, you know, head up to Maine. And again, it's one of those states where, um, you know, turkey hunting for the residents isn't, um, you know, it's, it's not as, as popular as some of the, some of the bigger game, um, species. So, you know, you can still, you can still get that permission. No, and, and I'm glad you touched on that because that's always been intriguing to me and, and I might embarrass myself here, but since you mentioned, I think uh, Maine has the latest ending turkey season in the country because it's usually around June 1st or maybe even a day or so after. And right. and, and so for, for, for people who are diehard turkey hunters, that's actually another opportunity to extend your opportunities in the field. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and really good gobbling activity after, um, you know, after Memorial weekend even. Um, so don't don't think that just because it's that late in the year that turkeys are done because the guys that go up there the hunters that i know that have gone up there i've had a great time that last part of the season yeah now we're gonna shift across the country a little bit and, and get jared uh, to talk a little bit about like jared let's talk a little about how the birds are doing in the in the midwest and the upper midwest and then we'll come back and cover the southeast because you 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 cover a huge area yeah geographically for sure um you know and i think across the Across the landscape, it's so different from the western part of the central region when you think, and then back up to the upper Midwest, right? So I look at, um, we'll focus on the upper Midwest. Um, we'll start there. You know, I think in general, a lot of the populations are stable or, or maybe doing a little bit better this year, which is really good news. We do have some trouble spots. You know, Ohio is a state that I know a lot of people talk about pretty close to your area and Doug's area where maybe birds aren't doing as well. We've had a lot mm -hmm. of consecutive, um, of some, some declines, but, I think what I see generally across the region is um, we have bright spots even within the state, and then we have some spots where we're a little bit more concerned uh, in, in those same states. But we do have states like Illinois where I think we're looking for a good season, states like Indiana. You know, I think uh, managers there are looking for some pretty good results this year. Uh, you know, and then when you get out here to the west, um, you know, the western part, Texas, Rios are doing okay. You know, there's a lot of Rios in Texas if you've, if you've ever been fortunate enough to go down there and hunt. Um, and the Easterns, we've been working on Eastern reintroductions there for quite some time. And, uh, you know, it's neat to see them increasing. Uh, got to see a few photos some folks uh, sent with a, a banded bird that was banded a while back. So those populations are starting to carry over. And then, you know, right here in my home state in Kansas, um, 
it's been uh, the last couple of years, there hasn't been a lot of production. The production has been down and uh, it was noticeable. It was uh, Doug and I were joking just the other day. I, I It was one of the first times I started hearing people say, hey, you know, where are, where are the turkeys? Uh, you know, because before that, it was always, hey, we have too many. Um, and so maybe we were a little bit spoiled in that regard. But, you know, I can just talk about just in my little two acres here. Uh, we had a, a couple of three plots uh, throughout the summer. And that's been a long time since we've seen them. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you both touched on and you really hammered home the, you see the variations with them state from area to area and Pennsylvania is no different. There's areas that have a, uh, still really strong. You think of the Southwestern part of our state, really strong bird numbers where I live. It's a more urban rural mix in the nineties. We had tons of birds here and they probably shouldn't have had that many. Now you see flocks of five or six birds, which is a more regular, uh, occurrence. But at one time you would see flocks of 30 birds. And so then that those numbers have dropped. And, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, since you cover Texas, when you get into the warmer, uh, drier parts of the country, think of Texas, uh, does weather still have a really strong impact on recruitment from year to year? Because we all know that's the bottom line is how well the birds are able to re recruit and raise their young. Yeah, that's one of the unfortunate things. You know, we really don't have a lot of control over, right, is, is weather. And, you know, we can put the best habitat on the ground, which is really what we focus on as an organization. And then we kind of have to deal with Mother Nature. And I think uh, actually the drought conditions, you know, when I talk to managers across those states, that's the indicate that's some of the indication of where we're seeing poor production is it's just so hot and dry. You know, obviously we've even got wildfires in part of this country. You know, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Kansas, Texas, we've seen wildfires like we've never seen the last five to 10 years, uh, we're losing habitat when that happens, um, you know, especially depending on the timing of those fires. So yeah, drought conditions, absolutely. You know, and the other thing, the impact is, is of course, insect production. And, um, you know, when it's super dry, we don't have a lot of insects that those are critical for poultry survival. So even if a hen is successful, pulls off the clutch, you know, they got to eat, they can, be, they can get a lot of protein. Um, so yeah, definitely the drought conditions really uh, can hurt. And then long-term, you don't think about a lot. I think about a lot is our cottonwood galleries when you're out in this country if you spent time in the great plains you know those cottonwood galleries that you know a few years of those droughts we start to see some of those trees drop out and die and you know that's some of the only roosting habitat uh in a, in a vast uh, sea of grass so they're critically important yeah and thank you and you know we're talking about the changes in bird numbers and doug we're and you you cover the the southeast how are the birds numbers doing in the southeast and i think that's probably one of the first areas in the country where they started to see some of the declines in in bird numbers but how are the populations doing there and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and then maybe we'll jump into maybe what some of the states are doing to sort of mitigate changes in the populations yeah so so yeah generally um yeah, Southeast, you know, we, we've talked about that for a long time as an organization and, and our, our volunteers and members concerned about numbers in the Southeast. And, um, you know, fortunately, you know, weather conditions have been have been, you know, a little bit better over the last couple of years. So there's there's a little bit of a, of a rebound. Um, you know, I'm always hoping that, you know, you, you get one hat, you get one good hatch and, and that's that's nice. Um, but really to, to see a rebound, you get two. You know you're you're coming in you're coming in uh, pretty good shape into that next spring, um, but you get three and all of a sudden it's a game changer. Um, so if we could if we could just string two to three good good hatches in a in a row, um, that would be nice. And we're we're kind of at that cusp of of two being above average um, the last couple years, average to above average. So we're getting there, not out of the woods, but yeah, there's definitely some concern still. Um, you know we'd we'd like to we'd like to have birds rebound a little bit more. Um, I mean, we all want more birds to, to listen to and 
um, you know, have that problem, which, which gobbler on the limb do you go after? Um, but it, it just hasn't been as much the case lately. Yeah, you know, and I have to ask you, I live in Pennsylvania, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you don't hear as much about the birds in the mid-Atlantic region, maybe that's because it's such a populated area, but uh, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, turkey hunting opportunities, say, in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland? I'm sure there's good bird hunting. Like I said, there was really good bird hunting where I lived for a long time. Southern New Jersey, It's if, if people haven't heard about it, Southern New Jersey has some really good turkey hunting. Yeah, yeah, there, there's a, there's plenty of opportunity in, in in Jersey, Southern Jersey, like you said. It, you know, they're they're doing fairly well. Um, you know, interesting. I had a had a great conversation with one of our volunteers at our national convention in in Nashville uh-huh. just a couple weeks ago from from Maryland, and um, you know, he was talking up, um, you know, how how well um, birds are doing. You know, in in Maryland, west Western Maryland seems to be doing um, pretty well. Um, and interestingly, last year, I almost took my son there for, for the youth weekend, but we wound up uh-huh. going to Connecticut instead. Um, and he did get his first bird in Connecticut, but, um, you know, that was fun, but yeah, we're, we're, we're always toying around with which, which places to go based on what we're hearing and, and the vibe around different States. So, um, Maryland's definitely on the list. Yeah. Now, do you have any sleeper States or areas that you want to maybe bring up on, uh, as far as most people don't know about it, but offer some really good bird hunting, anything jump out at you? Well, I, I would say um, for, for real sleepers, um, we talked about Maine. That's not as much of a sleeper as it used to be anymore. I would say that Connecticut, Rhode Island area, um, you know, most folks don't think about big tracts of land. But if you really look at um, some of the um, public land properties, um, the maps that are available, there's some pretty big pockets of public land in, in both states and, and even on the border of both of the two. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of, you know, the bag limits are are, are generous um for sure and um you know just just good opportunities to to get on birds um i you know it's i i had a great time with my kid um last spring and and we'll be going back there yeah you know and stay in that region long island of all places is going to have its first ever spring season if i'm correct now the the hunting on long island the the trouble is, is obviously land access but the fact that you have an area so close to new york city that's going to have its first turkey hunt um tell us a little bit how did that come to be and how integral were the chapters maybe in working on helping to restore birds so yeah it's um long island suffolk county in particular the the east end of long island um and and i i worked out there for almost two years for the state agency a while back uh-huh. and um they you know, there's a good amount of public land um, out there that uh, the, the agency does a really good job of um, controlling, managing access so that, um, you know, you're balancing, providing the opportunity with that number of people. You can imagine how many users are are wanting to be out there. Right. But they do a great job of balancing, um, managing access so that folks aren't interfering with each other too much um, and, and being able to um, pursue the resources, deer and turkeys and pheasants and, and, and all the other critters that are available to hunt out there. Um, so, you know, they've had a they've had a youth uh, spring turkey season opportunity in the spring for a number of mm-hmm. years now. And um, it's kind of been one of those things where as as folks got more and more comfortable with the idea of a spring hunt, you can imagine the different user groups, the horseback riders, the mountain bikers and all these other user groups. And not all the public lands that are available for hunters on Long Island are, are the traditional wildlife management areas. Right. They're from different. Um, the, the, the areas are managed um, under um, different classifications if you will and um but they're open to the public so um over time as as you know spring youth turkey hunting um it it was certainly you know a a safe um activity there were no issues um that that were really you know 
making any any news or anything and and so folks just became more comfortable with the idea and then there was just just gradual gradual acceptance that you know maybe we can offer that regular season that whole month of may really which is yeah. its regular season um it's it's a re, it's a reduced bag limit compared to the the rest of new york state it's a it's a one bird limit there um you know for now as as they try this out um but yeah it's it should be good and and you know there like i said there's plenty of opportunity and the state agency does a great job managing access yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see after a couple of hunts are in the bag, how the population uh, continues to go. But that's anytime you can introduce birds and see them thriving or at least holding their own in areas, very exciting. And uh, yeah. Jared, I don't know if you have similar stories uh, in the region you cover, but certainly uh, would love to hear maybe some of those success stories out in the, the Midwest or as you get into the Texas uh, area, Oklahoma area. Yeah, you know, I, I mentioned Indiana earlier. I think that's yeah. the state. Uh, for sure, you know, they had pretty favorable spring weather um, production, good cicada hatch, you know, which can always mean more birds. I think that's that's going to be a spot. Wisconsin's another state. We're talking to uh, our biologists and, and talking to their turkey managers with the department. They feel like, you know, numbers are going to be good. should be some good hunting. Um, you know, and I think, again, it's a little bit all relative to, you know, when you think about it, um, you know, I... Uh, when I, when I think about turkey hunting the way it was, you know, maybe early in, in this uh, 21st century, you know, we were a little spoiled and, you know, you just messed up a bird, right? You just go find another one. <laughs> you know, I think when I cut my teeth turkey hunting here in Kansas, I mean, I did a lot of that, right? I'd screw up a bird and and while I'm sulking, I'd hear a different bird gobble and I just go after that one. Um, you know, maybe we don't have those kind of days uh, anymore in some spots, but at the same time, you know, with with some access and some some boot leather, you can typically find a goblin bird. And I and I think so. I still look at places like Kansas as a spot you can still come kill a bird, even though you know maybe numbers aren't where we want to see them as as hunters for sure. Um, states like South Dakota, you know the Black Hills, I think are starting to come back a little bit. That they've definitely been down. That that's a traditional Merriam spot. I know we haven't been talking about Merriam's maybe so much, but that's a place with you know a million acres of public access. It's, yeah. it's just a and it's a spot a lot of people go to get their Merriams and complete that slam. And, you know, I think, is it going to be a little bit tougher to get a bird than it was, again, 10 years ago, maybe? But there's still a lot of public land and there's a lot of goblin turkeys. And so um, I'd still that's still a place to go. Yeah, no, I, I have to put you on the spot and ask a question. Somebody told me a long time ago uh, that at one point you could go to Kansas and even in areas where there was a lot of open area, if you could find a woodlot, you were likely going to find a turkey in that woodlot. That, is that true Absolutely. story? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, again, when they expanded, you know, again, you think back to where turkeys were, what, you know, almost extirpated um, and, and brought back in a lot of places, you know. Um, I mean, we didn't have the first season in Kansas until the 70s. I mean, there weren't yeah. turkeys. The same story with deer, right? I mean, those the good old days. Um, and you saw a deer and now look at Kansas as a deer state. But turkeys is kind of a similar thing. And I think, yeah, you get out in those areas, they, they pushed out of the prime habitat and they started to get out on the fringes. And if there was a tree that they could roost in, they, they were there, um, even really small little parcels and woodlots. Yeah. And, and you know, talking about turkeys, uh, none of this would be possible, or a lot of it wouldn't be possible without the NWTF. You're celebrating your 50th anniversary this year. Uh, I've been a member of the NWTF. I know all the guys in the local chapters here. It, it's amazing. If I had a single out one group there's a lot of group that did a lot of great work but your your members are very dedicated and so i thought it's worth talking about i'd like both of you to talk about this and we'll stick with you jared what are some of your chapters doing on the ground here that you that you've seen that have really been 
impressive or say shall we say innovative because without the work that they're doing to help you do all your work it's it, it's be pretty hard for the birds and pretty hard for for you so uh, are there any areas that stand out where you see chapters doing some great work well i mean i think ultimately you know we, there, there's things that we can contribute right everybody has different things they bring to the table and and, and some bring resources right they bring they bring money um, none of this is is done without money. It costs a lot to do habitat work. It's getting more expensive. It seems every day. You know, the other is 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 your talents and your treasures and your time. And I think you know you you hit on it. Our volunteers. You know, I'm a little bit biased, but I think they're the best of the best when it comes to that. They give selflessly. And I think you know, there's little habitat projects that they might be working on. They might be planting some trees uh, here and there. I think. I think one of the biggest things is, you know, our, our outreach and our education efforts that we do through, you know, Jake's and, and women in the outdoors, you know, those folks passing this on to the next generation uh, is just critical. And, and I honestly started as a volunteer when I was working on my master's for, for wild turkeys. Um, I was I joined the state board here in Kansas many years ago. So, I mean, volunteers are near and dear to me. I mean, we we are always going to be a grassroots organization. And, um, you know, the other thing that they help us engage in is, is policy. You know, there's so much that can happen with the stroke of a pen um, that can can do away with good habitat or, or can um, take away the ability, the access to the to the to birds or to hunting. And so our volunteers, you know, they on their local committees can get engaged in that. But certainly our state chapters uh, are definitely very engaged in that. So a lot of different ways. Yeah. And, and thank you so much for that. And Doug, I'm, I'm assuming you see similar things in, in the region that you cover. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jared um, nailed it with with respect to our volunteers and, and how important they are, critical they are to to us being able to do what we do. And you know, we we really don't do anything on our own. Whether you know whether it's with our volunteers or and or our our agency partners as well. Um, whether it's Forest Service, um, Natural Resources Conservation Service, our state aid wildlife agency partners, state forestry agency partners, and um, you know, a whole host of others, um, other nonprofit organizations as well. Um, and, and, and so a lot of the, a lot of the innovation comes from how, how we bring those partners together, um, in any one particular, um, I call it a project, but really we're working on, on large scale, you know, landscape level projects more and more these days, because, you know, we're just trying to have a larger impact and our, our staff do such a phenomenal job working with partners to take those dollars that are raised through our fundraising events that our, our members and our volunteers give so much for. Um, and, and turning a thousand dollars into, you know, ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars to to turn into a a, a bigger picture project. Um, lots lots of which are are done on public lands, but we're also, you know, heavily involved in in private lands. You know, we're talking so much about the eastern part of the country, and um, there's there's such a you know, private land dominated landscape, um, you know, on this side of the Mississippi River, that um, you know. If, we we have to we have to make a dent on private land um, improving conditions yeah. for turkeys and, and other wildlife if we're gonna if we're gonna make any any headway and, and we are um, and so you know those those sorts of um, partnerships that our our staff are so good at at creating and maintaining and bringing more um, people and more groups into the fold for to extend um, our ability to um turn a turn a small amount into a larger amount of dollars and acres um it's it's been incredible to, to watch it watch us grow um in that way but and you hit on a huge point as you were just speaking there and you know you were talking about working with multiple partners at one time to expand your bandwidth expand the area you can impact is the NWTF working on any large scale studies or projects with multiple partners to maybe study factors that are in influencing reproduction? Is there anything you're doing on a larger scale 
um, we were trying to get a handle on on changes in bird numbers. And, and, and you know, I actually will give an example here, if you don't mind. I, I think I've heard about some states doing studies now where I, I think it used to be that, you know, People would think if a if a, a mature tom was taken out of the population, that hen would find another bird to breed with. But I'm, I'm starting to hear some things where maybe they're finding that it actually does change the breeding ecology. Say if you have really early seasons or things like that. And you, you two gentlemen can speak to this much better than I can. But uh, are you looking at any survey to really get into the nitty gritty on the impacts of hunting, the impacts of other factors like predators and things like that? Uh, what are you doing with the the state agencies and some of the other partners? Yeah, it's and Jared, if you don't mind, I'll just I'll start on that one. It, you know, it, when I talk to the staff and I try to kind of get a a good view of what's going on in the research world um, for for us, that you know, projects that we're we're involved in, we're contributing towards. Um, it it's becoming more and more a function of what states are are we not um, investing in research for? I mean, there's uh-huh. there's just so much going on um, with respect to basically putting whether it's putting a, a satellite transmitter on hens. Or putting um, leg bands on gobblers to get a better feel for harvest rates. Um, you know, having all these different um, studies going on now. Now you have these song meters being put out in the woods to track gobbling chronology. You know, what time of year are they are they gobbling? Are there multiple peaks? You know, where are those peaks in relation to the hunting season um, and and the inc- you know incubation timing? Um, there's so much going on. What 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 is really driving um, nest success and and poult recruitment? There's, there's a lot of research going on in a number of states, you know, whether it's um, Kentucky, Tennessee, you know, mm-hmm. it, and, and what, one of the things too, not not to be, I, I hope I'm not jumping around too much, but one of the things I'm I'm seeing in, Jared, maybe you are too, is um, a state will come up, a state agency will come up with this idea for a research project and the neighboring states want to do, want to, want to be a part of it as well. Um, so the state agency is working together through our, our Wild Turkey Technical Committee, just having them getting together uh, multiple times a year with NWTF staff as well talking through some of the research priorities that they have in their own state, it usually snowballs into, um, you know, from a one state project into a four or five state project. And we're seeing that in in, in your home state, Mike, Pennsylvania, and now Maryland, New Jersey, um, even maybe Ohio might be coming on. I'm not sure I shouldn't speak to that specifically, but there's multiple yeah. states around Pennsylvania that are partnering on um, a project that really started in, in PA. And it's great to see the cooperation and, and, you know, our chapters are very supportive of that work. And and all to get to the point of what's 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 the limiting factors? What's what's keeping turkey numbers suppressed if they are? Um, and you know how how is the how is how is the hunting season in relation to um, nesting and incubation and and are 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 our seasons set correctly um, for the for the better um, for the for the best of the resource? Yeah, and and Jared, I'd love to hear from you because you know, like you said. People are starting to share data. Everybody's starting to partner together because I think you know you you will have variations from state to state and region to region. But in the end, that high level stuff is what's really going to help everybody understand it better. And then you have to tweak what you can in your own area. But uh, Jared, I'm sure you have some of that same stuff going on out there in uh, the central part of the country. Yeah, you know it's really interesting. As an old turkey biologist, I was lamenting the other day. You know, I did my master's on wild turkeys, and and I think Doug did too. You know, and it's um it. It's cool to see the resurgence of turkey research. Um, you know, un- unfortunately, it's in the face of some of these declines that have made us start asking those questions. But, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of things I remember literally on my graduate committee, one of my uh, graduate advisors saying, don't we know everything there is to know about turkeys? You know, and, and that was, you know, 2000, 2002 when I was doing my master's. You know, we 
we were restoring turkeys everywhere and it was just a different time. I mean, it's 20 years later and we've taken this population, you know, to carrying capacity and potentially beyond in a lot of places. And now we're asking different questions. Um, but as it always is with science, it changed a lot in the, in that midterm, right? We've got, again, the wildfires I just mentioned, we've got a warming climate. We've got these things going on that, that we're seeing out on the landscape and how turkeys are adapting to that. And, um, so yeah, it is cool to see all this research. And, you know, I was looking uh, yesterday and, and every, I have 14 states uh, that I help oversee and, and all but two of them are, are doing active research right now. Um, again, really cool as a turkey biologist, an old turkey biologist to see that. And I think, uh, you know, they're studying a lot of things to your, to your point, you know, they're, they're looking at survival rates. They're looking at some of those things that we did, you know, assume, not necessarily assume, but we thought we had some of those answers and, and maybe that shifted. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm glad they're asking those questions, um, you know, and, and you brought up one interesting one there. You know, the other one that we've heard recently from some researchers is how elongated the nesting season has become. Well, there's probably a lot of things that have influenced that. It could be season structure. It could be disturbances. It could be, you know, um, some of the, the climate adaptation, some of the things we're seeing there. So there's just a lot of changing uh, dynamics. And the other thing that's that's really cool, Doug mentioned song monitors. I mean, in GPS technology, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, when I was doing turkey research, you know, we're out there with the Yagi antenna and it's pretty rudimentary now, you know, nobody would put yeah. one of them on other than for cost savings, you know, and so they're seeing um, so many data points, how a turkey moves through the landscape. We're just learning uh, lots of new things. So it is exciting to see, you know, that resurgence in turkey research. Yeah, no, and, that, and that's awesome. And, and, and all this data is really going to benefit everybody in the, in the long term, all the states, uh, all the hunters, and of course, the birds. And, you know, the other thing I wanted to just touch on here quickly is, you know, and I have a couple examples here. You talked about bird numbers being down in Kansas and Nebraska, I think, was similar. They've probably seen a decline of like 45 percent. I think they dropped their harvest from three birds to two birds. Georgia's moved their season back a little bit uh, as far as the opening date. I think you start in March, now it starts in April. Alabama, I think it was a year ago. They, or it might even have been this season, can't use decoys in the first 10 days. Are you, are you gentlemen seeing each, you know, a lot of states shift how they're allowing opportunities for turkeys and how they're trying to protect the, the nesting population more, um, especially these past few years, shall we say? Yeah, I'll take it real quick, Doug, and just say, you know, I think when you look at a state wildlife agency, ultimately, they're the ones responsible for managing wild turkeys. Right. And, you know, we've been fortunate to partner with them to help move turkeys and put good habitat on the ground. But ultimately, they make those decisions. And I think that one of the biggest levers they have to pull is, you know, a season structure, you know, bag limits and length of season and things like that. And so, yeah, there definitely has been some agencies starting to look at that. And, and you know, again, it was a different time, even five, six, seven, eight years ago, what that season structure looked like. We were maximizing opportunities because we had a lot of turkeys and yeah. maybe not so much in Doug's region, but certainly in some of my region, we were dealing with, you know, problem birds. You know, they were the agency was dealing with birds on runways and and birds really tearing up hay bales and things for, for ranchers. And so it's really shifted um, in that regard. So, I, yeah, definitely Nebraska. Um, Oklahoma, a lot of those states are how do we maximize the opportunity for the hunter? Um, but also protect the resource. And it it is, you know, it's wildlife management's a science and an art, uh, but they, I think they're doing a good job. And that, that's part of, to your earlier question, that's what the research is driving at. You know, is that structure right? And, and again, I think the really neat thing about the Turkey Federation has always been that we uh, we work hand in hand with our state wildlife agency. Doug referenced our technical committee. You know, they're yeah. sharing data. You know, they're starting to share brood data. And so we're looking at this on a more of a landscape level, but they can still fine tune it for their state. Yeah. 
Doug, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that, but Jared, thank you so much for sharing all that. Yeah, just, um, you, you know, you mentioned a few states with some changes. I think Tennessee may be the latest one that, that's had some adjustments going into the spring where it's a little bit later and their bag limit has been um, reduced, I think, from three to two. And only one of those can be a Jake this year. And, you know, you mentioned Nebraska, and I'll, I'll just say that's one of the places I'm going to go to this spring with a couple of my buddies. And I remember waiting for the time to to hit to uh, be online to you know, sign, sign up for our permits because there was a limited number. Um, and, and for the first few days, they went pretty quick and I think there's yeah. still some available, but, um, yeah, we're, we're still looking forward, even though they're, they're down out there, we're looking forward to the, to going out there and having some fun. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I have one last question. I'd like both of you to, to answer this and, you know, uh, me turkey on this, like the one thing that people hunt that a bird will be gobbling, you swear it's going to come in and all of a sudden it vanishes. You don't see it. They're, they're so incredibly unpredictable. You've seen a bird do the same thing for for five days or you feel see five out of 10 days, the day you go hunt, it's nowhere to be found. For each of you, what's you both longtime turkey hunters, what's the thing that still surprises you about the birds this far, you know, in your career? What jumps out at you? Oh, just, I, I'll just say like, they, they always seem to find that new way to humble you, right? You know, like you said, just as soon as you think you haven't figured out, um, it, it's just amazing. Um, you know, whether it's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, no doubt, I'm going to make sure I'm at the, I'm at the high point of, you know, elevation. I'm not going to give up ground. I'm, I'm going to do all these things right because the bird has taught me this lesson over the last couple of weeks and you, you got it all figured out. And then, then all of a sudden you don't, um, they, they figure out a new way to, to get around you. But yeah, it's, um, just the way they can humble you, no, no matter how much you just, you're never done trying to figure these things out. I don't, I don't know that I ever will. And that's what I love about it. Yeah, I think for me, you know, um, it, it's it's interesting. I can I'll give you a quick story to kind of relate. I, that would be my answer. They're still wild, you know. Uh, uh -huh. Even after studying them and hunting them, you're like, man, they're still wild. But um, you know, March 2020, you know, COVID and the world stopped and all that. And you know, my oldest uh -huh. daughter was 10 years old, and so mm -hmm. she was doing virtual school, starting at 10 o'clock for a couple hours. We're a bow hunting family. It's, it's pretty much we use a shotgun every once in a while on a turkey, but we bow hunt them primarily and. She wanted to get one with her bow and she had put in all the work and, you know, because of that opportunity that it was presented by her not being in school, you know, we went out every morning and um, she missed several birds. We aimed for the head and she missed several and, you know, but there was this one bird and we had hunted him so many times. She named him Big Field Bob because he was in this big, long, skinny alfalfa field. And I mean, I would call in his hens on a regular basis and he would just stand out there and just strut at 40 yards. And we shoot him at like five yards and every day over and over and over. And she never wanted to pick up her shotgun. And then one day he did the same thing. I was like, she goes, let's hunt Big Field Bob. And we set up on him. And there come his hens come in and they go back out to him and he starts the the normal John out the end of the field and he just turns and walks right in. And she shot him and got her first one with the bow. And it's just like, again, just you'd think I had him figured out by then he's not going to play the game. And then he does. So that one was a one that ended in success. But yeah, there's still wild birds. But she was elated, right? Is she hooked now? Oh, yeah. And, and my greatest hunt memory by by a landslide, you know, was to see her not she, she, you know, I tell the story that she went through every single thing you could go through as a bow hunter. You know, she missed uh, multiple times. Um, she, she held too long on draw. Um, she rushed a shot, you know, every one of them, she clipped the blind. I mean, every single thing you could do wrong, but she just kept getting back in the saddle and yeah, for her to hit that bird and, you know, right there. I mean, yeah, it was just the, the coolest thing. It's actually the only turkey I have mounted. Uh, that we did a full body on and he's in my living room so that's a memory I'll, I'll certainly cherish 
Well, what a wonderful story and what a wonderful memory. And I, I think that's a great place where we can wrap up. Jared and Doug, thank you so much. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand. Or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.